I'm excited today that we begin a new message series that look at the must statements of Jesus. There's some things that Jesus says very clearly, you must do. It's sort of like being a good parent. There's a lot of things you would like your children to do. You would be happy if they did it. You would applaud if they did it. But there are certain things you're going to say to your children, you must do. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at those few passages where Jesus says, this is what you must do. What is a must? A must is an absolute. Now, let's be honest as we begin this series, though. We don't really like must. We don't really like someone to tell us what we must do. It just doesn't go over very well. If I'm watching a good TV show or a good ball game, and Stephanie will walk in the den and say, buddy, you must take the trash out right now. I'm not going to really tell you my reaction. She probably would tell it to you right now. Now, what I want her to say is something like, hey, when you get a break, when something different happens, when there's a commercial on, then would you please take the trash out? We don't respond to must real well because they feel like a violation of freedom. If you tell me I must do something, I feel like I'm in bondage. We'll talk a little bit about how that's not really true. Honestly, if I be honest with We don't even like to put a must on ourselves. We live in a culture where we've always, always want to keep our options open. I'm the worst of this. My son-in-law, Ben Starkey, back there, I drive him crazy because of the Bell family decides we're going out to lunch and we're leaving our house and we're going to, we say, let's go to Tzatziki's. Now, this is the way Buddy's mind works. Well, yeah, we're going to Tzatziki's unless I see something better on the way. Anybody else that way? Everything is always open. I don't even want a must for myself. And in our culture today, we live in what I would call a maybe culture. You know, even if we commit ourselves, there's always a way out. Years ago, you know, this, this on Wednesday night, we're having a great prayer meeting. If, if I were to corner someone in the lobby and say, are you coming to the prayer meeting? And they said, yes, it actually meant yes. If you said maybe, then there was a chance you might or you might not. If you said no, then you weren't coming. But in today's culture, here's what I've learned. If I say, are you coming or not, and you tell me yes, what you really mean is maybe, all right? And if if you tell me, well, buddy, maybe I'll come, you really mean is what? No. And if you say no, what you really mean is who in the world do you think you are to ask me to do such a thing, all right? So we live in a maybe culture, and yet we live with a must Lord who says, you must do some things. Now, here's what I want to remind you of as we begin this morning. There are terrible consequences when you treat a directive, a must, as it is an elective. We understand that in school. If you're in a a college class and the professor says, on so-and-so date, um, this is when your paper is due. And they say this, I will not accept a paper a day late. And then you walk in there a day late, and they give you a zero. We think, oh, my goodness, that is so wrong. I was talking to a professor not too long ago. One of the straight-A students in in his class turned the paper in a day late. He gave her a a big, fat zero. She wasn't very happy, but I'll tell you this, she never turned the paper in late again. You know what I'm saying? You know, if, if we treat a directive like an elective, we're in trouble. You know, if you go to the airport and you go through TSA and you think, you know, I know they've got this thing going on about not taking guns on airplanes, but it certainly doesn't apply to me. 
and you try to get through the line, you're going to have a mess on your hands. You know, if you uh, go to the doctor, and maybe you got a drinking issue, and you've been drinking way too much, and it's damaged your liver, and your doctor says, hey, you got to stop, or, or you're going to die. You're going to be crazy to treat that directive like, well, i still got a choice what I do or what I, I don't do. Now, here's what I'm trying to say to you this morning, my friends. When Almighty God says, this is something you must do, you cannot treat it like it's simply an elective where you get to decide what you do or don't. Now, I want to say this before we get into this, because this is going to be a, a rather challenging lesson. There are tremendous blessings when you treat a must from God as a must. And at the end of this lesson, I'm going to tell you how good life can be when you actually listen to this must that God will give us. But let's just go ahead and confess, it's difficult for you and I to live in a maybe world and try to live a must life, okay? Now, let's look at Jesus first. Here's what I want you to understand, is Jesus is not about to ask you to do something that he didn't do. Jesus had some must in his life. We see it really early in his life, when he's 12 years old. And he gets lost in the temple and his parents come and they're ticked off because he hadn't traveled in the caravan. And they come ask him what he's doing. Listen to what he said, Luke chapter 2. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I say it with me? Must, say it with me, must be about my father's business. Jesus had a must in his life that absolutely had to happen. Now, if you're looking on your phone or your Bible today, the passage we're going to dive deep into is in Luke chapter 9. And let me just sort of give you the setup here in Luke chapter 9. For the first time, Jesus has been revealed as the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the chosen one. He's the Messiah they've long anticipated. Now, just visualize that moment with me for a second. Can you imagine how excited they were? Can you imagine if you're one of the disciples and you find out he's the Messiah? And, and so, man, they're jumping up and down and they're clapping and they're visualizing, man, isn't it going to be cool the day Jesus marches into Jerusalem and he comes up and he sits on a throne and he changes everything and kicks out the Romans and puts us in the places of power. Man, they are so fired up about finally admitting that he's the Messiah. But then I'm going to tell you, Jesus burst their bubble. Look at what he says in verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of law. Here it is, guys. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. You see, Jesus lived with a challenging must his whole life. And that must was, you must die. You see, when the disciples are so excited about Jesus being the Messiah, when Jesus says, hey, you don't understand what kind of Messiah I'm going to be. I'm going to be a Messiah that's actually going to go down a cross. Oh, I'm telling you guys, they're not happy about it. We know in the Gospel of Matthew that, that Peter takes Jesus to the side and rebukes him. And Jesus says, no, 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 never will that happen to you. And Jesus has to say, Peter, you aren't understanding the will of God. You're acting on the devil's will. So Jesus has this must. Understand this. Jesus' agenda 
was not to enter Jerusalem as a conqueror. Jesus' agenda was to enter Jerusalem as a sufferer. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Ken Geyer. And I was reading him during Christmas because his writing's really good. And there was one line in one of his books that really stood out to me. Listen closely. On that starlight night in Bethlehem, God came to earth to do the one thing he could not do in heaven. Die. Jesus came to this earth with this purpose that he needed to give his life in our stead. Now here's what I want you to see. Must are not easy for us. We don't like people to tell them to us. We don't even sometimes like it when God tells us, you must do this. And I want you to see here that that even Jesus struggled with this must. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And as we take communion, I want you to, to think about a little bit different angle of what this bread and what this cup means. Because you remember Jesus when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows the cross is about to happen? Listen to Mark 14, verse 36. He's praying, Abba, Father, Daddy. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus wanted the Father's must to be a maybe. He's asking his Father, Lord, I know you got this plan, and I know you're, you're all-powerful, and if we could find a different way to go at this, could we please do that? And yet you see that moment of surrender, not my will, but your will. And here's what I want you to focus on for a moment. Even Jesus struggled to surrender to such a horrendous death. Now, John chapter 10 says he had a choice in it. John chapter 10 says, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. So Jesus faces the cross. He knows what it's going to mean, death. He struggles through it, but thankfully he surrenders. You say, buddy, why do you want me to think that way for just a moment? Because I think this morning, if you can see the struggle Jesus went through, if you can just for a moment understand the pressure Jesus felt, then you're going to walk away even more thankful. Because I catch myself, I catch us, sometimes robotically sort of telling the gospel. Like back in Christmas, we say, Jesus came to this earth, was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he resurrected. And we just say all of those things as if it just robotically easily happened. It didn't. It was a challenge. And if you understand this morning that even Jesus struggled with this, I think, number one, you're going to be more thankful I think, number two, you're going to love him even more when you understand what he went through. Picture that scene. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's flat on the ground, on his face, beating the ground with his fist, begging God to let the cup pass from him, sweating drops of blood from his forehead. And while you partake of communion today, if you can remember that, even maybe talk about it with somebody Did Jesus face what we face? 
And I, what I also believe is if, if we understand this, man, when Jesus tells me you must do something, and let me tell you, as soon as we get through a communion, we're coming back up here with a big-time must. Then I'm going to be a whole lot more responsive to his must if I understand the must he faced and was victorious. So I want to pray. And then if you're here this morning, you here for the first time, I just want you to know there are communion tables up front here in the middle, in the back. And we just encourage you to go and take, there's a cup with both the bread and the fruit of the vine in it. Just want to encourage you to go and take that. You might have some interaction with someone there. You might even want to talk a little bit about what it means to you that Jesus endured Gethsemane to be our Savior. Put yourself in his place just for a moment, and then let's just partake together. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus, and Lord, that he chose to lay down his life. Father, we can even relate to him that in this moment, he begged for a different way. But we also want to be to relate to him that when there was no other way, he simply said, not my will, but your will be done. So, Lord, as we take of the bread and of the cup today, let us remember the price that Jesus paid, the agony he endured, the decision he made to give his life in our stead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So thankful to be reminded that resurrection follows death. Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. Let's review where we've been. In verse 21, they have uh, celebrated that Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 22, Jesus messes them up by saying, I'm not the Messiah you expect me to be. I'm a suffering Messiah that would die for you. And then I'm telling you, in verse 23, he messes them up even more. Because now as you say, he's going to die, listen to what he says to you and I, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must, there's our word, must, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. You see, Jesus lived under a challenging must, and Jesus now gives us a challenging must. It's the same one he had. You must die. You know, if they were upset about Jesus dying, they got to be even more upset when Jesus says, and not only will I die, but I'm calling upon you to die. Now, let's just walk through the verse just for a moment. What does he say? First of all, you must deny yourselves, okay? Now, it took me a long time to, to catch this, but there's not a blank after deny yourselves. He didn't say, deny yourself a new car. He didn't say, deny yourself a new house. He didn't say, deny yourself a polar pop. I love those. He, he just said, deny yourself. Just deny yourself. What, 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 what are you saying, buddy? Deny yourself. Now, what does that mean? When Peter denied Jesus, what happened there? Peter said, I don't know him. So for you and I to deny ourselves is to get to the point in our life where I say, I don't know him. But he is no longer the big issue of my life. I don't know him. So that's the first line. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. And I'm telling you, we, we think of cross, and we, we got some bad pictures. Many of you are wearing some beautiful jewelry right now with a cross. I love those. Uh, I love the symbol of the cross. We put here at the apex of our building this incredible cross, and I love that. 
But if you were living in the first century, you would never think about putting a cross around your neck. You would never decorate a place of celebration with a cross because they had seen too many people carry their cross. And they knew when someone carried their cross, what it meant is they were going to be executed. And so when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, they knew it meant execution. And, and all of these disciples listening here, save John, are executed. And in our world today, statistics say there will be 13 Christians martyred for Jesus today. But for most of us, we know it's not going to mean I'm going to die on a cross. And that's why I think Jesus added a couple more words. He said, take up your cross, how often? Daily. Because for most of us, it's not the battle, this one execution, it's a battle of who I live for every day. Do I wake up in the morning living for me, focused on me, taking care of me? Do I wake up in the morning dead to me and alive to Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying. Take up your cross daily. You see, guys, the cross is not simply this incredible symbol of our salvation. It is. It is also the symbol of our lifestyle. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous German preacher who stood up in Nazi Germany, who gave his life as a martyr for Christ. He wrote a book in which he wrote, when Christ calls a person, he calls a person to die. And I want you to know this morning, he is calling you to die. And, and we don't like must. And I especially don't like this must. Buddy, you got to die to yourself. Now, let's keep going, though, because in the next verse, Jesus gives us the resurrection verse. He gives us the amazing promise. Jesus promises a fulfilling life. Look at what he said in verse 24. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What's Jesus saying here? Guys, there's an incredible paradox here. I know what I'm saying to you when I say you must die sounds like terrible news, but what I'm really giving you is the best news you'll ever hear. Because Jesus says, if you'll finally lose your life, you'll find it. If you'll finally die, you'll really live. If you're willing to surrender, you'll get victory. And my friends, the only way to really win in life is by losing. Now listen, my friends, this, this truth is stated clearly by Jesus. It's lived out by Jesus. And I think if you've lived very long, it's been confirmed in your life. To the moment you try to, to find life and you're searching for life and you're searching what's going to make me happy and what's going to fulfill me and what's good for me. I don't know about you, but those are the most miserable days of my life. If I'm really honest, and I have too many of these days, the most miserable days of my life is when the only person I can think about is me. And you might say, well, the most miserable days in my life is when I can think about you too, buddy. But I'm, I'm saying to you, the most miserable days in my life is when all I think about is me. And do things go my way? Does my schedule uh, stay on time? Do people treat me the way I think they should? Are they appreciative? Are they this? Do they? I mean, in, in, in my life can be messed up on those days when I'm so focused on me. It's normally not a very good day. The best day of my life, and I have too few of these, are the days where I am dead to buddy, and I'm not worried about how you treat me or what someone does or do things go my way. I'm worried about how can I glorify Jesus? 
And you see, my friends, when you live this way, there's nothing that life or Satan can throw into your life that can mess up your happiness. If I'm living over this way, looking for everything to go my way, a hiccup, a disease, a loss of a job, a, you name it, could mess my life up. When my life's about glorifying him, I probably can glorify him in the bad times better than even the good times. And so Jesus calls us to die. Now let's talk about that for a moment because I, I think there's a couple philosophies here about how you deal with life. And let me, let me put it three ways. I think in our modern culture, we live under what I call self-promotion. Uh, we, we're in the day of self-esteem and self-image, and we want everybody to feel good about themselves. I understand the point of that, but we have way overblown it. And so, so we say is what we want to do is feel good about ourselves. And so if you've got almost any problem, our answer is you just need to take a little more time off for yourself. You just need to focus on yourself. And so, and so we live in this culture where it's like everything's about me. And so anything that comes between what I want to do is looked at as bondage. If it's a law, if it's the will of God in our crazy culture today, if the biology of my body gets in the way of what I feel, I can reject it. And God, so, so we've lived in this culture that says, and pretty much this has happened since the 60s. Before the 60s, most people lived under a sense of obedience and obligation, and, and those kind of things were important and honor. And then in the 60s, we decided it's all about us and all about our feelings, and whatever you feel, you better be able to do. And if anybody tells you you can't do it, well, then they, they got a problem. Now, now, here's what I want you to understand, guys. You look at any statistics. Since we begin to live this way, the rate of anxiety, depression, and suicide has skyrocketed. And the rate of happiness has plummeted. Because listen to me, living for yourself is not only wrong, it doesn't work. On the other hand, though, sometimes we turn to religion, and religion's not about self-promotion, it's about self-demotion. And I understand that I do have some problems, and I do have some sins, and so I decide maybe I'll get better if I just beat myself up and so many of us love to go to church where we just get beat up every Sunday. I'm telling you, on those Sundays, man, when I preach a really hard sermon, th this is always what shocks me. I cannot tell you how many people who thank me. Buddy, you stepped all over my toes today. Thank you so much, man. You beat me up today. So being a really nice person, I try to do it every once in a while, okay? <laughs> because, listen, the, the, the idea of your life is not to put yourself down either. Please, please recognize this. Putting yourself down or lifting yourself up, what's the problem with both of those? They're both about you. They don't work. Now, what's Jesus' answer in this passage? It's not self-promotion. It's not self-demotion. It's self-surrender. What Jesus says, if you want real life, you must die to yourself. It's when you get over yourself. Because I love this word surrender. I think it's spiritually, I'm going to just tell you, in my life, it's the most important word. I used to think everything was about commitment. I need to be more committed. You need to be more committed. Because the problem with commitment is you can even be committed to something you don't love. Love the story of the little boy. Dad kept telling him to sit down. He wouldn't sit down. And dad just finally said, man, you don't sit down. I'm going to spank you. And the little boy sits down. And then he looks back up at his dad. He said, dad, I may be sitting down in this seat, but I'm standing up in my heart. 
We've all done things just out of a sense of obligation and commitment, and you've got to do it. That's not what he's asking for here. He's saying you get to the point in your life where you finally just say, oh, my goodness, I can't get it together. I don't know what to do. I just surrender. It's, a, it's no longer about me. God, you just say it, and I'll do it. And when you get to that point of surrender, listen to some of the things he says that you'll find. Let me just give these real quickly. Number one, you'll find peace. You know, when Jesus is marching to the cross and he's laying on the ground, all tense about the cross, when he finally says, okay, Father, okay, okay, Dad, not my will, but your will be done, he never flinches again. And in your life and my life, as long as you're seeking peace, you'll never find it. It'll be elusive. When you finally simply say, I'll tell you what, it's not about me anymore. It's all about you, Jesus. You're going to find this peace and you're going to find this freedom. You see, the world's going to tell you that, buddy, what you're talking about today is bondage. Jesus said, John chapter 8, you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. Because all these things we go after, whether it's material goods or whether it's um, success or, or whether it's some kind of um, a drug that makes me feel better, or what, all, all of these things, those end up being bondage. Surrender, obedience to God ends up being freedom. You'll find peace. Number two, you'll find purpose. Not my will, but your will be done. Because most of us, our problem is we are our biggest purpose. But when you finally say, God, I tell you what, my life is about you and glorifying you. And whatever may come by, I mean, hopefully it'll be good. Sometimes it won't be so hot. But whatever happens, I can glorify you in that. I like what a preacher named Jim McGuigan said years ago. He said, people are crying while they die, not because they're dying, but because they don't know why they lived. Why are Americans so miserable today despite the fact we are more blessed than ever? Because we have lost a higher purpose in our life. Our highest purpose is us. And number three, you'll find power. Not power like the world, but power like Jesus. How did Jesus win us over? He won us over by giving himself for us. There's no greater power than love. I love the story I read this week about Jackie Robinson. He was the first African-American baseball player in the major leagues. And it was the Brooklyn Dodgers who um, drafted him. And the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, also his last name was Robinson. His name was Rick Robinson. And so when he wanted to put Jackie on the field, he brought him in for a meeting. He said, Jackie, I want you to understand that this is going to be really hard We're going to go to cities where people are going to cuss you out. They're going to spit at you. They're going to throw things at you in the field. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to not fight back. And Jackie Robinson says to him, you don't want a man who doesn't have the guts to fight back. And Rick Robinson said to him, no. I want a man who has the guts to not fight back. Because if you fight back and if you curse them, if you go after them, that will just confirm everything they want to believe about you. He said, Jackie, I need you to go on the field and play well, and I need you to walk off the field and turn the other cheek. Robinson was a Christian. And he did that. 
Robertson, Jackie Robertson says to him, you give me that uniform and I'll have the guts to turn the other cheek. You see, guys, when you finally surrender to Jesus and you're dead, then you have power. You can't hurt a dead man. I love this quotation I heard from a preacher. If someone kicks you and it hurts, it just means you're not dead yet. Let me confess to you guys, I'm not dead yet. Because I let too many things hurt me. And Jesus says, you die to yourself and you're going to have a power like nobody else. Listen, we are turning off a younger generation to Christianity in our country because too many Christians are seeking power in worldly ways with evil people. And it's destroying our testimony. Because our power is not the power of coercion or the power of beating somebody down or making fun of someone. Our power is the power of love. And Jesus says you're going to have that kind of power. And then one more thing, Jesus said, when you surrender, you will find his presence. I love this line, when you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. Listen, if if you are floating around in life right now, nobody can look across the pew right now and tell that you're miserable or that you're not full of hope or you're not full of purpose, but you know right now you're just sort of tossed about, like the Bible says, by the latest thing, just trying to find some kind of high to keep you going. I'm telling you, the only one that will fulfill you is God, and he cannot move into your heart until you move out. So guys, I love, I love this must. You must die. And let's go back to what we said at the very beginning. There, there are terrible consequences when you treat a must like a maybe. And Jesus makes this super clear. If what I've said to you to this point has not gotten your attention, listen to the last verse in this section, Luke 9, 25. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul or self? Because Jesus is saying, if you do go out there and you get everything you dreamed about and yet you don't have God, you have nothing. So here's the prayer we need to pray today. Not my will, but your will be done. I want to get a little personal here to close out. Because this is a very convicting lesson to me. I believe this with all of my heart. The most important word in my spiritual life is when God finally puts me in a corner and I have to give up on me and I finally say, Lord, I can't figure it out. I can't do it. Can't get it together. I just surrender. And what I'm going to ask you today, today, is will you come on this first Sunday of January, will you come to that point? I'm, I'm, I'm responding today. I've tried to figure out all week long, how does a preacher respond to his own message? So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put myself in your place. I'm going to sit down. And when we get ready to respond, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand to say I need to die to myself. I am way too full of myself. I'll never forget when I preached in Pensacola, we were having a small group one night. 
And uh, we were meeting, and there was a guy that lived in our neighborhood named Steve. And he just all of a sudden burst into our house one night and said, buddy, I need to talk to you. I'd never met him, um, but he knew I was a preacher. And so we went back to our bedroom, and we started talking, and I found out that Steve had grown up in church, hadn't been to church in a couple of decades. He's a great-looking guy. He'd lived a jet-set life. He was on his third marriage. And his son, who lived in Birmingham, was in a wreck and killed his best friend. And Steve was devastated. He couldn't stop weeping. So I just prayed with him. And then the next Sunday, I was sort of surprised because Steve showed up at church. And when we offered the invitation, he came down to the front row. I've memorized what he said on his card. I surrender. I give up on me. It's no longer about me. It's about Jesus. And that's what God's calling us to do today. Now, I don't want to pressure anybody to do what we're about to do. Some of you need to go home and think about this, because this, this is a tall must. You must die to yourself. But I'm telling you, if your feelings are getting hurt too often, you need to die to yourself. If you're walking through life always wondering how everybody's treating you, you need to die to yourself. If you're being rebelliously disobedient to the commands of God, you think you know better, you've got some addiction issues that, that just aren't right, you've got you to die to yourself. And what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is if you're ready to die to yourself. If this first Sunday of January, you need to surrender. What you're doing is not working. I'm going to invite you to stand up. I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm going to stand up. But I do not expect any, if I'm the only person standing, I know I need it. I'm not going to be upset at all. You don't have to stand up. But if today, to start this year, you need to listen to the words of Jesus. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him all the way to the cross. If you need to do that, thank you, guys who are standing. Then stand up right now. Guys, this is the big issue of our lives. We're about to sing a song. And God bless you for what you've just done. I pray this is a meaningful moment. I pray this is a marker. You're going to look back and go, 2024 was different because I died to myself on the first Sunday. But there's some of you that you probably need to confess something. There's something going on in your life that you need the prayers of the church for. And you just need to come up here and write it out and we'll pray for you. There's some of you, you need to make this commitment public. So please come tell us so that we can share it. There's some of you who you need to literally die in front of us today. That's what baptism's all about. Baptism is a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, baptism is not about you saving yourself. It's about you finally dying to yourself and resurrecting a brand new person. If you need to do that, then meet me up here. Thank God for what's happened in this room. But if you need to take it a step further before you walk out, then come down to this front row while we all sing together.